0: quite a competitive person. Actually, no, I know the answer to this because judging by how much you lost your voice after the All Blacks final, I know exactly how competitive you are.
1: Look, I've been known to throw a Monopoly
0: board around. Well, you're among good company because even the professionals can lose the plot sometimes. I don't know if you caught this um, video it was out about yesterday about Daniel Medvedev, the Russian tennis player. He was in um, Paris, I think the Paris Masters, flipped the bird at the crowd Mm. after they were booing him. Poor form. It's not a great look, but it kind of took me down a bit of a rabbit hole of when sports people go rogue. What do you got? There's one from 1995. Eric Cantona from Manchester United did an absolute kung fu kick on a crowd member who was giving him some abuse. <laughs> Eden Hazard, there's a ball boy who wasn't giving him the ball back and was kind of sitting on the ball, and Eden Hazard kicked the crap out of him. So it's footballers. No, and then even Serena Williams. Oh, no,
1: another tennis player.
0: She once told a like a line official that she was going to shove a tennis ball down her throat because she wasn't giving her the calls that she wanted.
1: I don't know what to say to that.
0: <laughs> In summary, sports people, they're just like us. Actually, they're worse than us. But maybe it's a reminder to anyone who has to go on the sidelines to their kids' games this weekend, let's try and keep it together.
1: Feel better about flipping a Monopoly board now.
0: Anyway, kia ora, this is Newsable,
1: I'm Jess. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. A graveyard for children. That's how UN agency UNICEF describes Gaza right now. We're getting the latest on the organisation's efforts in the Middle East.
0: The woman at the centre of that infamous fatal mushroom lunch across the ditch has been arrested.
1: Hot people are causing car crashes. And AA Insurance wants to remind us all not to be so easily distracted. Come on, New Zealand, pull it together. Plus, <laughs> it's back and I'm going to say better than
0: ever, Is It Cake is here once again and can I pick the real headline or will I end up with price on my face?
1: We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support.
0: UN agency UNICEF says Gaza has become a graveyard for children. As Israel's retaliatory bombardment of the Strip continues, the size of the humanitarian crisis is growing on a daily basis.
1: UNICEF spokesperson James Elder is with us now. Kia ora, James, welcome to Newsable.
2: Cheers, thanks so much.
1: James, you told a briefing in Geneva about UNICEF's gravest fear and that that was the number of children being killed. The death toll rises significantly, of course, every day. What's the latest figure that you have?
2: Yeah, it's staggering, isn't it? It's infuriating, it's it's heartbreaking. And honestly, before I have conversations like this, I can see a number rise sometimes within the hour. So at the moment, the reported number of children that have been killed is more than three and a half thousand. That's in around three weeks you can do the average a hundred a day it, it just it's somewhat bigger as belief
0: so unicef has his actual staff on the ground in gaza right now james what do they kind of do on a day-to-day basis
2: most of them have children Uh, Just so they literally focus on keeping their kids alive. UNICEF has got in around 25 trucks worth of supplies. So that's everything from surgical equipment to medicines, water, hygiene kits, really life-saving stuff with a focus on hospitals, knowing that what hospitals also need is fuel. Don't think of fuel for cars. Think of fuel for allowing a doctor to operate on a child with a light, not a torch. Fuel is to make sure you pump clean water, not kids drinking salty water. You know, we've got dozens of colleagues in Gaza um, who are at an absolute wit's end, of course. It's their home, it's their people, it's their children. They're watching family members killed every day. This one colleague, Nesma, she's got two little ones, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, and... Her four-year-old already has all the signs of trauma, it is like scratching so much on the thigh that, that that's starting to bleed and pulling hair out. Her line was literally, I don't have the luxury to think about my kids' mental health right now. I just keep telling myself, Nesma, keep them alive. The children of this war are going to be deeply affected. Spot on. It's something, unfortunately, UNICEF knows from our frontline work from Syria to Afghanistan, of course, Ukraine. And we know a few things. One is that the longer children are subjected to these kind of horrors, the more ingrained it is and the harder it will become for their counselling and so on, for them to get better, if you will. We also know that it has long-term emotional effects. It has long-term you know, economic impact that people don't think about. There's very good studies on terms of you know, someone's earning capacity being greatly damaged before this conflict, this latest conflict, remembering this has gone on for decades, you know, four and five kids, eight hundred thousand children in Gaza were said to need some kind of mental health support. That's before these endless bombardments commence.
0: There's a lot of talk in the media, at least, James, about a ceasefire, be that temporary or otherwise. Can you bring me up to date on what the chances of that are?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Look, UNICEF, we we're neutral, we're non political, it's why we can beyond the front lines of these places. And as you've seen, the world is split on whether there should be a ceasefire or not. UNICEF has been unequivocal from the start. And people have asked, well, you know, what, what would a ceasefire do? Well, if we go back to what we were talking about, these insane numbers of boys and girls being killed, if it is that average of around, let's just say 400 children killed or injured every day, I mean, every day. If we can get a ceasefire for three days, for 72 hours, that means a thousand children unharmed. That means a thousand children who won't endure shrapnel or shells against their little bodies. So that's the only way we look at a ceasefire in terms of what it means for the most innocent, for the safety of children.
1: How do the complexities of this environment with the, the restrictions on basic essentials compare to other places UNICEF's been involved
2: with? We have the ability to get in huge amounts of water, of medical supplies, of medicines, of anaesthetics, so kids can get anaesthetics before surgery, of fuel. We need access to get that. We need, you know, approval from governments to do that. It's complex because it's political and we are not political and it's difficult because whilst those decisions aren't being made, we can't do the most basics of humanitarian work. As I say, 25 trucks is nothing to scoff at, but we're well aware of the trucks sitting at the border and what they might mean to boys and girls.
0: James Elder, a privilege to chat to you and um, your team are literal lifesavers. So thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure. Jess Imogen, thanks.
0: For those of you who have been uh, playing along at home, Imo has been trying to include a secret word into every episode she can this week. Very
1: sneaky.
0: Yes, very sneaky indeed. To find out whether she's actually managed to achieve it and what that word was, if you haven't caught it, do head along to our Insta. It's newsable NZ and that video should be up very shortly. Erin Patterson, the woman at the centre of the deadly mushroom lunch investigation, has now been arrested. It's believed a beef wellington made by Patterson had death cap mushrooms in it, poisoning the four people who ate it for lunch, killing three of them and leaving one needing seven weeks of hospital treatment.
1: It's a huge development in the story that's gripped at least two nations, us here in New Zealand and Australia. So here with more details is Andrew McFarlane from Nine News. Andrew, have police said why or what it was that meant police arrested Erin? It's been three months since that fatal lunch.
3: Yeah, three months is a, is a long time, right, in a criminal investigation. And at this stage, we don't know what's changed because something has to have occurred right a new piece of evidence has to have come to light basically police to have enough confidence to go to her house and arrest her and take her into custody for questioning we've heard today that the federal police have been at her property conducting extra searches and what's interesting about this is they're using special sniffer dogs who are trained out to seek out sim cards and usb devices so the investigation has gone to a whole new level today So it's really interesting. And the big question is, what is this new piece of evidence they've got? Or a new question that they want to ask, which means they have been able to arrest her. Let's
0: take a step back for a second, Andrew. Can you remind us who these lunch guests were and their relationship to Erin Patterson?
3: Yeah, so four people dined at this meal at Erin's house way back on on the 29th of July. It was three people. We had Gail Patterson, Don Patterson. Both of them were Erin's ex-husband's parents. And also there was another two people, Heather Wilkinson and her partner, Ian Wilkinson, who was the local pastor. Now, Ian is the only person who survived that meal. All three of them started presenting with what they thought initially were stomach problems akin to maybe having gastro, and all of them were hospitalized and eventually died. Now, police came out of the woodwork saying, we are highly confident that these are death cat mushrooms that they've eaten. It's believed it was a beef wellington served at that dinner. And I don't know if you've ever had a beef wellington. They're not an easy thing to make. But uh, a mushroom sort of stew or sauce is a key part of that recipe that's wrapped around the beef before the pastry goes on. So it's suspected that's what was served to these diners. Erin, she herself has said she got sick and she went to hospital, but she was all cleared. And Erin's two kids also ate the meal, she says, the day after. And they also felt a little bit queasy as well. The crux of this kind of case is whether the mushrooms were added intentionally, right? Erin has never denied that she made the meal, but she's denied having any knowledge that these were toxic mushrooms. And death cat mushrooms are responsible for around 90% of all mushroom deaths uh, certainly here in Australia. So it's a a very serious allegation.
1: Like we said, it's been three months since that lunch. Erin Patterson, I remember in those early days, she did speak to media, but what about more long-term? Has she said anything in this period of time between the lunch and now?
3: It's been pretty much radio silence from Erin. We heard in those initial days she was caught by some of the Australian media going in and out of her house where she said how sad she was and how horrible she felt about being the one to serve this meal. But since then, we haven't really seen or heard from her. There's been one or two instances where she's popped in and out of her lawyer's office, which is how she has been previously communicating with police. But no, and I think today's announcement that she had been arrested has come as a bit of a surprise because there was no build up to this, right? It was Mm -hmm. sort of one and done. And then all of a sudden this arrested happened. And what was interesting is, in that press conference where police announced they had made an arrest, they said they have never seen so much public attention over a case like this. They said this is the biggest it gets for Australia, which is remarkable. You may be able to cast your mind back to the Cleo Smith case, the young girl who was kidnapped in Western Australia. That was a huge story, but this is definitely bigger.
1: Andrew, what happens now?
3: So it's up to police now to formally lay those charges. There's several steps they'll go through. They're searching a house Uh, at the time of recording this. And then from there, they'll question her once more. And then from there, we may get charges laid. But it's certainly, you can't say police are hurrying to get through this, right? It has taken them three months to get to this point of arresting someone. Whether that Mm. means they'll go immediately to charging, well, that's anyone's guess.
0: Andrew McFarlane from Nine News, thank you so much for bringing us up to date.
3: Cheers, team.
1: We are still going to talk about hot people causing car accidents because, well, why wouldn't we? And speaking of hot people, what better time to chuck us, a follow and a like on your favourite podcast platform. But was I referring to you and I, Jess, or was I referring to our wonderful listeners? Who knows? Chuck us a like and a follow just to be safe.
0: Okay, Imo, I need to hold my hands up before we start this next interview and admit to you and everyone else, I'm not the world's best driver. You know, I've never had any oh. big crashes, but I have been known to reverse into a garage door when it's still closed.
1: You didn't have to give that information up as well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and I just wanted people to know that I, I feel where they're coming from with this because we're about to talk about um, AA's latest driver survey, which found around 270,000 Kiwis, as a few of us, have been involved in some kind of accident in the last year. So I'm not particularly close to home.
1: 34% said driver distraction was the cause of their accident, with poor weather conditions and reckless drivings rounding out the top three. When asked to explain the reason for their distraction, there was all the usuals. Other cars, texting, kids in the cars, pet. But it was this golden one that caught our attention. 3% said they were distracted by hot pedestrians. And hot drivers. Hot drivers and other cars and hot pedestrians are a danger to us all.
0: <laughs> I can't help thinking, of <laughs> have I ever distracted somebody? Am I so good looking <laughs> that they've just rear-ended someone else? <laughs> here to talk all about this some more is AA Insurance Head of Motor Claims, Bo Paparoa. Kia ora, Bo. Thanks for joining us. Kia ora. Now, Bo, we'll get to hot pedestrians in a second, but I think the the biggest number here from the survey was that there's been a 17% year-on-year increase in motor claims. Any idea why that is?
4: Yeah, well, what we can see from that almost 270,000 people uh, that we can estimate uh, have had a collision, it's it's allowed us to really dive into what what those top three causes might be and then dive a bit further in terms of if driver distraction is the number one cause, what do we mean by driver distraction? And so we've been able to build out quite a good list there um, of distractions.
1: Uh, Young drivers, those aged 18 to 29, are the most likely to be involved in a collision. (sighs) It's costly for that group, though, isn't it? If they're the ones constantly getting into accidents, because premiums tend to be way higher for them.
4: This is an a incidence where it's, it's costly for everybody. Mm. Um, and I think when you're looking at those driver distractions, it's really resonated quite well with the, with that particular age group. But we can definitely see it happening across the board. Um, and yes, unfortunately, uh, rising claims, uh, claim volumes will, will relate in increased premiums.
0: People are really keen to blame other drivers and other cars as the reasons that they were distracted. Because only four percent said it was the phone that was distracting them. Can we really trust that? I feel like more than four percent of people are crashing because they're texting or trying to change the music or something along those lines.
4: You're further down. This we also had people um, talking on their phones as well, and it's to, to me, it's a really unfortunate stat that you don't you don't really want to see coming through. But it looks like it still exists. All we can really do is just encourage people along with those other distractions in that list to try and you know minimize uh that that distraction aspect so that they can focus on what they're doing which is driving and safety is probably the biggest message here uh, in terms of risk to injury to yourself or others and so Cell phones is one of the things, but there's a lot of other distractions as well that we we want to try and raise awareness on.
1: Do you think uh, there needs to be more enforcement in that cell phone distraction area though? Because that is one area that police can you know, actually step in and make, take some action rather than telling someone off because they were staring at someone they found attractive.
4: <laughs> yeah, look, I, 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 I don't know. I think that you know, they're, they're already obviously taking action where around where they can enforce it. It's probably a really hard thing to enforce. That's why, you know, this is really important to raise this. That This is what the outcome is, I suppose. If you're using your phone and you're at an increased risk of having an accident, um, that's going to result, you're going to be paying for it at the end of the day when, when, you know, we have to raise premiums to pay for all of these claims.
0: Let's get to it, Bo. How can we stop ourselves getting distracted by hot people walking past the car? What
1: about those little eye covers?
0: You no, know, we can't wear blinders. No, that's not we safe. C- <laughs> but the horses wear them. The horses, wear them. <laughs> the horses aren't driving a motor vehicle. Look, we're
4: all human, I think, and that was a... Really interesting stat to come through, um, relatable to a lot of people. The honesty is great, um, and it feels really naughty talking about it. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's a distraction along with many other distractions, so it was really important for us to kind of call it out. And if it relates really well, it might resonate really well in terms of remembering that, you know. When, when, that's, when that occurs to you, can might bring your focus back towards what's important.
1: And if that hot person sees you crash.
0: Nothing makes you look more of an idiot than rear-ending someone. So you're going to lose
1: all your swag. No swag at all. I shall walk around with a cap
0: and sunglasses so no one can get distracted <laughs> by me anymore. Keep
1: everyone safe out there, Cheers. <laughs> AA Insurance Head of Motor Claims, Bo Paparua, thank you so much for your time.
4: Thanks, guys.
0: Finally, after a couple of weeks off, it's time for some fun in the form of Is It Cake? Now, a reminder of how it works, as it has taken a break for the World Cup. Imo is going to read out two headlines, one of which is fake. It's cake. It's not real. Cut into it, and all you have is sponge and frosting. <laughs> so I have to figure out which one is which. Which one is real? We
1: only actually played this a couple of times before the Rugby World Cup rudely disrupted us. And for What? Might I add? Kidding. <laughs> what was point kidding, that boy? Kidding, not kidding, am I? Oh. But yes, if you do follow us on Instagram, you'll already know the two headlines I'm about to read out. But here they are again. Headline number one. Celine Dion terrorises small town. Headline number two. Ed Sheeran accidentally offends fans at surprise concert. Before you guess, Jess, do you want to know the poll result? Because we chucked it up on the gram. Go on. So 64%. Of those who voted, chose Ed Sheeran upsetting fans at a surprise concert as the real headline. 36% said it was Celine Dion terrorising a small town. What do you reckon?
0: I unfortunately know the answer to this one. i no, don't apologise. This has been oh, such a good story. I love it. The Siren Kings of New Zealand have somehow developed a deep love of Celine Dion. So
1: I had no idea this was a thing I, at all. Yeah, it's kind of underground, like you don't hear a lot about it. No, and this has also in the past week gone somewhat viral. If you Google Celine Dion Porirua, Porirua being the small town, which actually, side note, it's a city, so apologies Porirua for all of the international reporting on this. A bunch of international media outlets are the first stories that come up before you get into anything local. So we'll take the BBC's version of this story because why not? The story reads, New Zealand town tormented... By Celine Dion Music Battles, one New Zealand town, City, says it's had enough of Celine Dion after car drivers joined a craze of blasting out her ballads at 2am. The battles involve groups of people gathering, playing music from sirens and the idea is to play the loudest and the clearest music you can. And apparently Celine Dion is a popular choice for these siren battles in Poreroa because of the high treble. The other song that they apparently like is Venga Boys. Sha-la-la-la-la. Uh, residents of Porirua have now launched a petition to bring an end to the Celine Dion racket. The mayor of Porirua, Anita Baker, has joined the conversation and she says she's sick to death. But like I said, apparently this has been going on for years and I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, it started in Auckland. Anyway, that is newsable for this week. I'm Imogen Wells.
0: I'm Jessica McCarthy. We'll be back on Monday. Have a brilliant weekend and shalala. la la I just realised I've missed a terrible but great pun, Sirene Dion. <laughs> oh, dear. That's enough, Newsable. For one week, we'll get you on Monday.
1: Was this episode of Newsable usable? Then back NZ News by making a financial contribution at stuff.co.nz support. Hey Chris. Yes? Do you want another very broad question? I've got a very broad question today. Go on then. What do you know about sports?
4: Up oh, the wires, go the Black Caps, and don't forget Premier League football. Oh,
1: you do love a bit of Premier League footage, do. don't you? What team is it that you support
4: Oh the current champions, Manchester City.
1: I think they're pronounced Arsenal, it's pronounced Arsenal.
4: Uh, but you know what's good about football? What? They don't regulate soccer height.
1: I'm sorry? there's a sport that regulates sock height
4: indeed there is and it's cycling
1: that's very strange why on earth do they regulate it
4: well I know but if you want to find out you'll have to listen to the big stuff quiz wherever you get your podcasts
1: oh that's a cliffhanger indeed the big stuff quiz is brought to you by Melbourne every bit different